The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Ziptility, the only app utility crews need to find, fix, and manage infrastructure assets from the field. By Intera, geoscience and engineering solutions. By Xylem, let's solve water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. And by Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. This is session 170. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. And I hope this finds you safe and healthy amidst the public health crisis that we're all dealing with. Today, the great Albert Cho of Xylem joins us. Al is the Vice President and General Manager of, of Advanced Infrastructure Analytics. He produces a prolific amount of content in the water industry, and that's uh, it's simply top-notch stuff, and it's written in an accessible manner. Uh, you can find links to some of his recent work on the show notes for this episode, uh, and I really encourage you to check it out because uh, Al is just, uh, he's one of the luminaries of the industry, and I'm very excited to have him on, and you're going to get a terrific glimpse with, uh, with the help of Al uh, into how utilities that have adopted digital technologies have fared thus far during the pandemic, both from an operational and a financial resilience perspective, and also how those utilities are going to fare in the upcoming financial uh, financial uh, challenges that are, have been brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we get to Al, a little housekeeping. Again, a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors are Ziptility, Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, and Black & Veatch. And I'd like for you to do me a favor, if you could, please, if you work for or if you work with any of those sponsors, please thank them. Thank your boss. Thank your contact at that sponsor firm and let them know you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the podcast sponsorship. You'd be surprised how a how far a simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate the support of the water industry, uh, uh, through their uh, support of the podcast, why not leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Castbox, or whatever other podcast director you access the podcast on? That'd be greatly appreciated and will help others find out about the podcast. Now it's on to our feature interview with Al Cho. Let's get that water flowing. Well, Al, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad we can finally get you on. It's been a while. So, uh, for starters, Al, can you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? I'm happy to. Um, thanks so much for having me on the program. Uh, but before I answer that, David, I guess I just want to know, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I'm doing wonderful. I know we're all kind of sheltering in place now, and it's, uh, it's, it's been challenging for all of us. I know you're on the front lines of seeing some of those challenges, so I'm curious how you're doing, too, uh, in addition to finding out a little more about your background. Thanks so much. Um, I'm doing fine. I'm in Washington. I uh, just picked up a foster puppy from the shelter uh, three days ago. So oh, really? A, um, <laughs> a nice way to actually uh, uh, ride out some of the, the quarantine. What, what breed did, of dog did you get? Uh, it's half terrier, half pit bull. Oh. I never thought I'd want um, a pit bull, but he's just the most loving, uh, wonderful <laughs> little creature. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Those dogs are dogs are great. We've got two of them. We've got a, a mini golden doodle and a uh, uh, an English golden retriever. Uh, and so it's those are they're wonderful dogs. I love I love dogs. So glad to know I'm in the company of another dog lover. <laughs> For sure, I am. Um, but I will come back to the question that you originally asked, which is uh, really about the water sector. Um, so I started uh, working in uh, environmental issues uh, all the way back in 2002, where uh, I got to serve on the U.S. delegation to the World Summit on Sustainable Development in Johannesburg. And it was my first experience out of college. I got to escort Secretary Powell, uh, Colin Powell at the time, um, around an exhibit that we'd written highlighting the contributions that U.S. companies had made around global sustainability. And spending two weeks in South Africa, uh, just out of college, looking at how technology was beginning to transform the landscape of sustainability changed my life and convinced me that I wanted to work on infrastructure and technologies that would advance sustainability. Over the course of the next couple of years, I worked at the UN on the Millennium Development Goals, and then at McKinsey on smart infrastructure, smart grid technologies, and this fusion of data and physical infrastructure moved on to Cisco Systems, where I worked on roughly the same thing, applying machine learning and data analytics to global environmental challenges, uh, such as using remote sensing data to automate the detection of land use change from space, uh, and then had the opportunity to work at the State Department, uh, where I uh, supported the policy planning staff and our Deputy Secretary of State on energy, economics, and the environment. And uh, one of the coolest parts about that was spending time um, with the policy team at the State Department, thinking about the future of global economics and infrastructure. We organized a major conference uh, to look at where there were big global infrastructure opportunities, uh, mainly for U.S. companies internationally. And it was really clear at that point that water infrastructure was this really, really important area that was ripe for uh, more investment, but also a lot of innovation. And so when I found an opportunity to join Bellum uh, seven and a half years ago, uh, it was like a bell ringing in my head that wouldn't stop until I found a way to join. And uh, I became Bellum's head of strategy back in 2013. Uh, and since then have uh, been in a number of different roles uh, focused on mergers and acquisitions and then ultimately in bringing together our digital offerings. Yeah. And that's what I really want to dig into today is your, your, the digital offerings. And, and we, we kind of alluded to it at the beginning of this, that we're in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic and we're all sheltering in place. And so I, I'm just kind of curious about how digital is performing in, uh, in, in the face of this kind of the shelter in place and the stay at home orders and things like that. my new uh, foster puppy. So, um, <laughs> normally, um, when you go pick up a foster puppy, it's a very physical thing. You go pick it up, and then um, you uh, have to bring it in for adoption workshops where people can come and visit. Uh, but um, that's all gone digital. And so uh, we're doing a Zoom meet and greet so that prospective adoptees can uh, meet my puppy um, over Zoom. Um, I've gotten probably 250 emails from people who wanted those Zoom calls because everyone wants a puppy right now. But the, the folks at the shelter said, look, um, we're not sure that we're going to necessarily do this differently going forward because it's worked so well. Hmm. Um, this crisis has, in a way, been an opportunity to rethink what we thought was possible. And so you know, I think something very similar is happening in every industry, um, including the water sector. You know, I remember when um, all of this uh, started to happen with um, infections and with uh, the reaction around quarantines and lockdown orders and shelter in place. 
you know, we sat down um, as a company and uh, just thought through what is this going to mean for um, our clients and our communities? And what are the challenges that are going to arise that we need to be ready to help them with? And it was pretty clear um, at the beginning that the first wave of issues was going to be operational. Utilities are uh, at very different places in terms of their digital journey. Um, but one thing they all have in common is that they can't afford a bad day. That our communities, especially now, are looking to our utilities and other bedrock institutions in our community to be there every single day, doing exactly what they did before. Um, but we knew that they would also face the same challenges we were with social distancing, um, with thinking about having fewer people in the office, and just trying to maintain operational continuity in a world where you want fewer bodies on site, um, and you still have to do the same or more work. And so, you know, from our perspective, at least, the first wave of challenges associated with COVID was a challenge of operational resilience, maintaining uptime and compliance in a world with fewer people on site. And uh, the digital side of that um, was pretty apparent. And so there's a lot of things that we talked about with remote monitoring. Can you use remote monitoring, for example, to uh, make it less necessary for people to go visit assets, right? So if you have pump stations, can you monitor them remotely and track their performance, see where challenges are working on, uh, or where challenges are developing um, without having to send crews out? Can you avoid uh, problems by using advanced technology solutions to avoid, for example, clogs? And so we started thinking systematically through what are some of the workflows that are gonna become more complicated because um, people are flushing more complicated things down the toilet they can't get toilet paper because it's the easiest way for some people, I don't know why, to get rid of disinfectant wipes. And we just started lining up, how do we make sure that we can be there for our clients with digital solutions that help them um, through a period of operational resilience? And in talking to a number of utilities, I think that's the biggest thing that we heard, is that utilities that had made investments in digital, in streamlining work processes, enabling people to work remotely, automating certain tasks, and making it all visible either from the cloud or otherwise online, um, they experienced substantially less disruption in their core operations than utilities that were still in the process of figuring out what they wanted to do on digital or where they still had a lot of paper-based systems. Those utilities, uh, uniformly when we spoke with them, um, would say things like, look, we're holding it together, uh, but only just. Everything you've said, I think, makes absolutely crystal clear sense. Um, one of the things that I've encountered when dealing with utilities is that you know, the digital water makes so much sense, but I kind of view it as a governance issue as to moving it, moving from the, the transition from analog to digital, because, you know, the, the operations guys may say, oh, you know, being able to do this remotely makes a lot of sense. Being able to do this, getting this, 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 all this data makes sense. But uh, really it's the guys who hold the purse strings, right? That that are making the decisions about, and I should say, not just guys, the, 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 the utility board, uh, the governing board is the one who's deciding where to invest the infrastructure. It's not just the operators. So what, what I have always wanted to do is, is try and find ways to get the governing boards to see the benefits of going digital. And, uh, I, I would be very curious and interested in hearing your thoughts on how this how this COVID nineteen pandemic is going to influence the governing boards to make those investments that you've identified. Yeah, it's a great question. 
You know, I'd say that what we saw, right, from an operational resilience perspective, is that what digital technologies provided in the first wave of the response to the COVID-19 pandemic in the water utility sector is greater visibility, greater continuity, and greater resilience. By putting more core processes in a way that people could view it remotely, there was uh, remote visibility of operations. By using advanced digital technologies to manage processes that were otherwise manual or difficult to um, keep running, um, there was greater continuity. And where individuals had some view into where problems were forming and could design response strategies around it, there was greater resilience. And so I think there's some real benefits associated with digital technology as it's implemented in the utility um, that have been exposed by some of the um, recent events. But from a fiduciary perspective, remember that no one wakes up in the morning saying, I want to kill every great idea that's coming out of um, you know, my team, or um, you know, I have a personal ax to grind with the prospect of innovation. Uh, the reason things don't change is typically because there are really good reasons why things don't change. Um, risk aversion isn't a bad thing. Uh, the desire to maintain process stability is not a bad thing. Uh, as my friend George Hawkins, who's the former CEO of DC Water, you know, runs Moonshot Missions, often says, you know, it's really good that we have leaders across the sector who are a bit skeptical of innovation because water is the only utility service that people ingest. And so I by no means want to suggest that a resistance to change is a bad thing. But what I think this pandemic has done uh, quite powerfully is to begin to shift in terms of the discussion around digital. For a long time, people have thought about digital and grouped it in with smart water and you know, machine learning and digital twins and all of the stuff that sounds hard, right? And sounds complicated. And more importantly, sounds innovative. And when people hear innovative, sometimes they read risky, right? And so in the kind of mental balance of things to focus on, things that are new, hard to understand and risky are always going to be um, uh, seen as a little bit of a, of a bet and one that responsible fiduciaries of the community um, might choose to defer. But I think this pandemic has shown, uh, because of the operational benefit that digitally forward utilities have gained through this crisis, is that that risk calculation was wrong, right? Or needs to be reevaluated. From the perspective that it's now riskier not to have implemented or be implementing a robust digital strategy that enables visibility, continuity, resilience, then it does, that, that's a less risky strategy than it is to stick your head in the sand, right? And uh, keep uh, focusing on status quo processes. Now, nobody's actively sticking their head in the sand, but I think there are people who do say, you know, digital, cloud, those things sound um, like they might be um, risky for our enterprise. And I think now things that seemed like they were innovation or luxuries are now seen as necessities um, and as the uh, prudent fiduciary strategy uh, for utility leadership. I, I agree. I think uh, the, the, you know, digital, I think, has in some sectors and some quarters been seen as kind of a, exactly how you described it, a luxury, kind of a shiny new toy that wasn't required to be upgraded because everything was working just fine. We're we're all expecting significant financial ramifications coming out of this with uh, increased, uh, you know, with with lower usage, therefore lower revenues, with increased bad debt expense, things like that. Uh, 
how and that just seems to feed right into the financial resilience you kind of mentioned. So I'm I'm curious how digital is gonna gonna be impacted by uh, by this from a financial perspective. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think in our um, first uh, encounter right with COVID nineteen, um, rightly so, everyone's attention was focused on the operational consequences of the pandemic, and so there was a lot of focus on making sure that. Uh, work schedules were realigned, um, that uh, we were using technologies to maintain operational continuity. Um, the challenge is that, you know, a couple months in now, the operational issues have largely been um, characterized, uh, but the biggest risk is now financial. And I don't want to underestimate or underplay the importance of just how hard it was to get a handle on some of these operational questions. You know, we have to make sure that people, and I mean government, policymakers, people who are making appropriations, understand that what happened during the first wave of the pandemic was essentially miraculous. That you know, what you didn't hear or read about is massive water system failures compounding the impact of the pandemic. Stretched, challenged institutions like water utilities, which have never had all of the money that they need to do with the time, they muscled down and supported their community through a very difficult time. The people on the front lines of water utilities are essential workers. The people leading water utilities have largely shown themselves to be adaptive leaders. And everyone in those um, utilities has really pulled together in the spirit of self-sacrifice to make sure communities had what they needed. So I just want to say, you know, before talking about anything else, that that's something to be celebrated. And it doesn't get celebrated often enough because it's the things that don't blow up, that don't get any attention. But during a pandemic, the fact is that our utilities should be celebrated as heroes for the work that's happened to hold it all together over the course of the last couple of months. And that piece of operational resilience, whether it's technology enabled or simply enabled by the hard work and collaboration of the people in the industry, um, is a great achievement. But now there's an even bigger challenge. And that bigger challenge has to do with the financial impacts of the crisis. Many of your listeners have probably seen or heard the statistics and estimates that have come out of organizations like NACWA, um, AMWA, um, AWWA around the economic impact associated with the pandemic. Just as there is a severe financial recession um, that's hitting the broader macro economy, the water sector is also going to see first and second order impacts uh, from areas like uh, a real decline in commercial and industrial demand and revenue, a real increase in receivables, and a lot of increased uh, political pressure not to uh, raise rates even where that's previously been agreed to. And those things will create uh, an economic overhang that's gonna lead to a real challenge for um, our friends in the utility sector. So the relevance of digital here is interesting because you know, when we talked about operational resilience, you know, it really is around um, creating resilient systems through remote monitoring, automation, and optimization that enable visibility, continuity, and resilience of you know, subsystems and processes within the water utility. When you think about financial resilience, the interesting thing is that a lot of the same technologies and tools that give us operational resilience can support financial resilience as well. And here's what I mean by that. If you look at the overall uh, financial position of any organization, um, cash flow statements are, um, you know, they can get a little detailed, but at a high level, there are about three things. They're about cash flow from operations, they're about cash flow from financing, and they're about cash flow from investing. And um, in utility terms, it's largely about 
cash flow from you know revenue versus operating expenses, cash flow from the capital improvement plan, and the amount of money that is being invested in system um, uh, reinvestment and resilience, and uh, cash flow from financing municipal debt, um, et cetera. And the reality is that when revenue starts to shrink and drops, estimates suggest that it could go down by you know 15 to 25 percent, depending on where you are in the world and uh, the composition of your, your uh, of your uh, of your community. Um, the highly fixed cost base in many utilities means that there could be a significant cash flow challenge. And there's no single tool that's going to get us out of that um, situation and some of the very difficult choices that leaders are going to have to make in any enterprise. And so there is no panacea. But digital technologies can make a difference. And here's how. So on the operating cash flow side, there's a lot of revenue that is undercounted in utilities because metering networks, for example, under-register revenue. But it's really difficult and capital intensive to just tear out all of your meters and replace them um, on a very, very frequent basis to deal with the fact that you know, meters will start to lose accuracy um, over time and in sometimes random ways. Uh, data analytics can be used to identify signatures of failing meters so utilities have a very clear sense of where it is that their meters are uh, not working. So instead of investing a lot of capital to do a full-scale changeout, you can pretty much instantly identify where the outliers are and do targeted replacements, particularly at a time when commercial industrial activity is lower or slower, and go fix the meters that are causing the biggest problems. It's a bit like the equivalent of doing road repairs when there are fewer cars on the street. Find where the potholes are, where the challenges are um, that are leading to cash flow challenges and go fix those during this, uh, this period where there's less um, interruption associated with those repairs. And our estimates with many utilities have suggested that a principled switch from status quo meter asset management to uh, intelligent meter asset management can increase top line revenue by reducing apparent water losses of up to 1%. And that's a big deal in terms of operating cash flow increases through a principled way of reducing uh, capital expenses and increasing top line revenue. On the operating expense side, it's time, as everyone knows, to be looking for all of the major operating expense categories that are out there, from energy to chemicals to truck rolls, et cetera. And again, there are a number of optimization tools that leverage decision intelligence, i.e. a fusion of sensors, analytic models, and decision support tools that move from the old smart water, which was really around data collection and visibility, to the new smart water, which is really around analyzing information in real time to augment decision-making to make optimal capital and operating choices. And so we see that on the operating cash flow side. Equally, we see that on the capital improvement side, where there's quite a lot of capital expense, which in our experience can be reduced through optimization tools, analytics, and decision support. So those are some of the ways where you can start to look at the same data streams, sensors, analytic models, et cetera, that enable operational resilience can help pair both operating and capital expenses down to support continued viability during a period of diminished um, revenues and, uh, and, and, and rates. Yeah, I, I, I really like um, the way you, you frame that up in terms of old smart water versus new smart water. Uh, it's, that's the first time I've heard uh, someone make a distinction between, you know, kind of the, 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 the advancements that we're, we're getting in the digital age, you talked a lot about the, the, the rate pressures and things like that. One of the first things to go uh, when uh, 
there is uh, there are are you know declines in revenue or they're trying to or utilities are trying to cut expenses is maintenance. So you get a lot of deferred maintenance, and I think digital uh, is going to play a big role in figuring out you know w- what can be the maintenance is exactly how you you framed it. You're you're more efficiently uh, making those improvements. I, I would want to also point people to where are the really big dollars where uh, basically different approach could potentially unlock a lot of incremental uh, savings in cash flow. And so, you know, it's an example that many of your listeners are probably familiar with, uh, but in a different light. We've talked in the past, for example, about South Bend, Indiana, which is a city where combined sewer overflows were causing real challenges with compliance uh, and affordability. And by adopting a decision intelligence approach, that leveraged a sensor network, a digital twin, and a control platform, the utility was able to exceed the environmental standards associated with that consent decree um, with a plan that is dramatically less expensive because it optimizes the use of existing assets instead of building a lot of utility assets that won't be used very frequently. And the analogy that I want to draw is that pretty much every capital improvement plan has some common line items, including pipe replacements, sewer replacements to address infiltration and inflow, um, valve replacements, meter replacements, et cetera. And I think the question that all of us are going to be asking, right, because the sector needs to continue delivering to our ratepayers the safe, clean, healthy water and wastewater services that they need, especially during a public health crisis. The question that all of us are going to be asking is, can we maintain target levels of service with significantly lower capital expenditure by leveraging the power of data and decision intelligence to change some of the fundamental engineering assumptions that have been made in conventional planning. Where there is uncertainty or a lack of data, one of the things that we need to do is to build in reserve margins or to adopt strategies that are tractable um, in the absence of information. But we now live in a fundamentally different world, one where financial constraints are greater but the abundance of data and analytic power enables us to change some of those assumptions, collapse some of those uncertainties, and build kind of real assessments of what's necessary rather than uh, engineered assumptions about what safety margin we need. And it's that transition to an intelligent approach to capital planning, which I think has a material uh, opportunity for our sector to deliver uh, equal or higher levels of service um, with a more capital efficient um, uh, and more cash flow positive approach through the next couple of years. Yeah, and and you mentioned South Bend. Uh, what, I, I know the savings there on the capital plan expenditures were significant. Do you have? Can you kind of just put those in context for for you know what they were looking at versus what they actually ended up spending? Yeah, with round numbers, the initial uh, assessment of what it would take to achieve those environmental outcomes was close to a billion dollars. And uh, through the implementation of uh, this platform, it's now estimated that that could fall by about half, right? And yeah. so that's a pretty significant shift. And so I have to imagine that pretty much any utility that is going through a consent decree program that's looking at building infrastructure is probably going to be asking that question. Um, is there a way to achieve the same environmental outcome, maybe by shrinking the amount of capital expenditure that I put out there? by leveraging some of these digital solutions and tools in a way that will be environmentally superior, 
um, and also more capital efficient for my ratepayers. And you know, my sense is that uh, sensible regulators would want to have that conversation uh, because nobody wants to, uh, you know, enforce ways of doing things. We all want better outcomes. And if there's a way to do that, leveraging the power of information, uh, I would think that that's better for our communities and for our country. Yeah. Uh, completely agree. What would, what would you say to someone that, that is currently analog that is worried about the expense or the, the conversion over to digital, uh, you know, someone who, who, who has seen it in the past, they kind of thought, you know, maybe that may not be right for me right now, but this pandemic has exposed all the things that you've identified and, and what, what, what would you say to them? What do they need to get going? Focus on value. I think a lot of the challenge um, with quote unquote smart water is that people focus on the technology. We focus on the sensors that you need to buy or the networking equipment that you need to buy or all of the things that have to be bought as opposed to identifying what are the sources of value um, and the decision flows that could be made more efficient through the implementation of technology. And if one picks projects and efforts based on value creation, um, they tend to pay for themselves. It's when one decides to go digital without a reason for doing it, that it starts to be viewed as a luxury um, or as risky. So um, the advice would simply be to say, in pretty much any organization, utilities or non-utilities, value drivers and use cases are the key to getting a good return on investment uh, in a way that avoids unnecessary expense. Like anything, uh, we can build and procure uh, whatever we want right in life um, but we're only going to get a good return if we know why we're doing it those are wise words wise words so al you have been absolutely tremendous today um i feel like we've just scratched the surface on these types of uh the, the digital water issues could you um you know to the extent i either haven't asked you something that you think is important or if you have a leave behind message you know, what, what do you think that, that leave behind message or what haven't I asked that's important? What, what are those, what are those issues? I think the leave behind message is this is going to be a challenging few years for everybody. And one of the things that I love about this sector is that it pulls together when things are tough. That's what we saw uh, in the first stages of this crisis. And I think it's what we're going to see in the next uh, couple of years as well. So the leave behind message is we're all in this together. Our role in this is to develop solutions and approaches that can help maintain resilience through a difficult time. And we're going to partner with our clients, with consulting firms, with other stakeholders in the sector who want to be in this with us. And so, you know, uh, when I think about the talented people that I have the privilege to work with at Xylem, I can tell you that every single one of them is in it for the mission of making sure that people have affordable, safe, and clean water. And uh, I would really welcome the opportunity to work with others if they hear uh, this podcast. David, you have a pretty broad audience uh, of, uh, of thought readers and movers and shakers. And they want to work with us on this. Don't hesitate to reach out. I believe behind the message is we're all in this together. Let's work together. Let's solve water. And uh, please stay safe and healthy and uh, continue to uh, be there for our communities. Great. Al, that was, that was wonderful. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, and I, I very much appreciate Xylem's sponsorship of the podcast. It's a, an, an awesome, awesome firm and uh, very happy to, uh, to have you as a partner. Um, for those who want to find out more about you and your work and more about Xylem, where can they go to get that information? 
Yeah, if you go to um, dialinc.com on our website, there's a tab right now um, called COVID-19 Response. And what you'll see in that tab is um, kind of three pieces. One is uh, some general information on Xylem's approach to COVID. Um, there's an approach around our community investments. We're making a pretty significant commitment to supporting our communities, our partners um, through this crisis. And um, there's a grants program where if people are interested in uh, working with Xylem in supporting communities, um, please visit that site as well. And then there's an area that focuses on how we can use technology and solutions to support utilities and other um, water users through this crisis. Um, and so that's just xyloninc.com and there's a tab on COVID-19. Thanks, David, so much for your time and for uh, getting the word out on uh, the sector to your audience. Oh, well, well, thank you. The, you know, I have the easy job. I just lob the questions, but, but you know, getting getting folks like you who have are the subject matter experts that's what i i really appreciate and i i really uh, am thankful that you have taken time out of your day to come on and share with us these great stories and this great message that you have so thank you thank you so much al i appreciate it well i told you al was going to be terrific he was just so genuine and so humble while conveying a tremendous amount of just great information and some very unique perspectives i you know his his point about old smart water versus new smart water and how even the digital world is changing and evolving i thought was very well taken and just an excellent point well, why don't you let me know what you liked about the podcast? You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values, and you can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter at uh, just go Google thewatervalues.com or go to thewatervalues.com, and that'll redirect you to where the podcast lives on the internet uh, at Bluefield Research's site. Uh, thank you again for tuning in. And again, a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, those sponsors of the Water Values podcast include Ziptility, Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, and Black and Veatch, all market leading companies, market leading organizations. And uh, I'm so glad that they have chosen to support water education through a sponsorship of the podcast. So thank you again. Uh, to Ziptility, Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, and Black and & Veatch. Thanks so much. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me well thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney client relationship with you or with anyone else additionally nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.